Running Light Ministry Podcast is brought to you by listeners like you. You can support these podcasts by making a gift to the ministries at runninglight.org. So welcome to the Running Light Podcast. My name's Bo. I'm Peter. And this is podcast number um, 117. Nice. That's what it is, 117. And we're going to kind of devote this one a little bit to gender. So first, we're going to play a video that I think they're going to be able to hear pretty good. So um, let's see if we can get this thing going. I've been talking a lot about um, speech, you know, censorship, and I'd like to move on to the next topic now, which is about how many genders there are. I want to talk about only two, and TERFs, and Tumblr genders, and Zimzer. Some people have spammed literally every video that I've ever made about the nature of gender and sex with only two. Okay. Point taken. So I hopped on Twitter and asked those of you who do feel that there are only two, why you feel that way. And in even asking that question, I got, you know, a little bit of backlash from the feminist side of things. You know, it's problematic or it's hurtful or it's invalidating. Um, and I understand why some people might find it upsetting, but I'm going to talk about it because I feel that this conversation is really at the core of feminism. It's very relevant to sex ed. Um, it's not just something that can't be discussed. The idea here is not to invalidate anyone's identity, anyone's experience of gender. It's to understand what the whole scope of those experiences look like and how they lead people to understand gender the way they do. I think it's fascinating and I want to talk about it. Feminists and anti-feminists alike, in the course of this conversation, you may very well find yourself disagreeing with some of the things that I'm going to say. And I say, cool. Tell me why. I'm open to other perspectives. I'm open to changing my mind on this stuff. I have before, but I need strong arguments. I need arguments that are logically sound, that are not based on emotions, um, arguments that are backed by science and data wherever possible um, with strong study designs. And I'd love, would absolutely get off to responses that address what I actually said. Oh my God, Lacey supports harassment. No. Oh my God, Lacey hates men. No. Oh my God, Lacey's a white supremacist now. Chris is the white supremacist, not me. Just a little low key shade for you there. I see three political groups, three basic philosophies in this conversation about gender. Anti-feminists say there are two, only two. Radical feminists say, well, you know, gender doesn't actually really exist. And liberal feminists say, well, gender is infinite and it's expanding. How are we all looking at the same thing, at gender and coming to such wildly different conclusions about it? That's the question, right? For starters, I'm not convinced that we are all looking at the same thing. Genitals, specifically. This is a penis and this is a vulva. In biology class, or maybe porn, we all learn that genitals are a part of human sexuality, in large part because they help us to reproduce. It's the survival of the species, right? Life on Earth, wow, so beautiful. There are basically two sets of equipment that allow humans to reproduce, that is male and female, XY and XX. That is basically sex. Basically, a more comprehensive account of biological sex includes four traits. You've got chromosomes, hormones, primary sex characteristics, and secondary sex characteristics. And there's a little variation here, right? Low key. I mean, you got, you know, females that are infertile. You've got males that have more 
boobage, all that kind of stuff. Then you also have, you know, about one in 2,000 people are intersex. They have both male and female bits. And another part of the variation is trans folks who will transition between male and female using hormones and surgery. What's notable about sex is that all mammals have one. The vast majority of mammals are either XX or XY, just like us. You know, there are some animals that have traits from both. Just like us, there are animals that transition um, between sexes. But what's not just like us, what other animals don't have, in my book, is gender. Monkeys and tigers, they might be male or female, but they aren't men or women. Gender is the way that body sex is interpreted and understood in the world, in society. The American Psychological Association defines gender as the attitudes, feelings, and behaviors that a given culture associates with a person's biological sex. And this is the definition that is, you know, widely used by experts. But when you look at the definition, you know, it's kind of broad and subjective. You know, attitudes, feelings, behaviors, like what does that even mean? And I think that this is one of the problems in this conversation is that the same word is being used to refer to like a million things. Gender sometimes refers to sex. How many genders? Basically two. Gender sometimes refers to society's gender roles. How many? Basically two. Gender sometimes refers to someone's outward gender expression. How many? Potentially infinite. Gender sometimes refers to individual gender identities. How many? Potentially infinite. And gender sometimes refers to labels and pronouns. It's language. How many? Again, potentially infinite. Okay, so the word gender can mean a lot of things in this conversation. So I think it's good to be specific. Question now is, well, which one of these definitions of gender do we use when we're talking about things like sexism or transphobia, feminism, anti-feminism, you know, gender differences in society? Well, this is where the anti-feminist, the radical feminist, and the liberal feminist schools of thought start to have some disagreements. Okay, we'll stop right there. Look, shall we? Kind of go, whoa, this is pretty cool. Now, it's interesting that um, I was also uh, looking at Brett Weinstein's Dark Horse in podcast with him, and I'm pretty sure it's his wife, Heather Haying. Um, I think that's how you pronounce it, Haying. Um, and they are uh, academics, and they did a podcast uh, back in August 11th, actually, just yesterday <laughs> on on sex and gender confusion at Harvard Medical School. Mm. And um, now these are academics that have definitely taken a lot of heat from academia uh, for a lot of different reasons. And their podcasts have been canceled um, quite a bit over the last year, especially with the uh, COVID situation. Um, but I found their stuff kind of interesting too. And so we kind of just heard from, I think it's Lacey, uh, doing her YouTube uh, podcast um, on uh, that there's really only two sexes. And, and, this, and now I want, I want you to hear this. There is um, Harvard lecturer, uh, I think she clarifies that she is not actually a professor, Carol Hooven, uh, who joined Fox and Friends for, uh, joint, that's their language, that she would not say that. She's, you know, she's, a, she's a liberal um, who spoke to Fox for a four or five minute clip um, to talk about the ideology that is happening in, um, in 
education and specifically the medical school, specifically the Harvard Medical School. Um, and I think they found her through um, Katie Herzog's recent excellent piece that was in Barry Rice's um, Substack. So that's a, that's a lot of names. Um, but um, Dr. Hooven here talks about uh, male and female being different and uh, us being able to talk about men and women being critical in a medical school and being able to say things like pregnant women. Uh, and I will I will link to this in the in the show notes. But rather than have you listen to the whole five minutes, you know I listened to it. It's not that long, um, and there's exactly nothing transphobic or harmful in what she says. And yet here we have someone um, tweeting out this video saying a woman by the name of Laura Simone Lewis saying, as the director of the Diversity and Inclusion Task Force for my department at Harvard HEB, that's um, Human Evolution and Behavior, I think. Um, I am appalled and frustrated by the transphobic and harmful remarks made by a member of my department in this interview with Fox and Friends, um, to which I, re I quote tweeted as an evolutionary biologist, I am appalled and frustrated by the scientific illiteracy that is apparently being facilitated by our most elite institutions. Um, I, don't, I don't honestly know how we are going to continue to function if this continues. I mean, this we're, we're seeing incompetence and inability to think through basic scientific arguments over in virus and vaccine space. At least that's a little bit complicated. At least it takes walking through a few steps of logic to arrive where people should be arriving at. But um, the observation that everyone on the earth has made, <laughs> that male and female are different, and the fact that in our lineage alone, we have at least 500 million years of uninterrupted sexual reproduction in our lineage. And sex has been around, sexual reproduction has been around for, oh, anywhere from one to two billion years on the planet. And probably our uninterrupted lineage goes back that far as well. That 500 million years <clears throat> number that I quoted, that's just, that's me being conservative. Like, yes, intersex people exist. And yes, Gender, and here you and I always have a slightly different um, definition for this. Gender is the behavioral manifestation of sex in non-human animals. What we call uh, gender in humans, we call sex role. And you know the the way that you manifest your sex is your sex role, is your gender. Are there some humans who feel deep down that they are not the sex that they are born to? Yes, and they are transgendered, and we will treat them with respect and we need to do so. But this, this has got to stop. This well, has got to stop. This is insanity. It's, yeah. it, you're absolutely right. It is going to result in the destruction of everything as, as we pointed out long time ago. Pretty interesting from these guys, huh? From the dark horse in, um, cause when you think of academics, you think, Oh, they're going to be people that are going to be, you know, kind of like raw, raw, with uh, you know, with the 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 multi multifaceted gender theories, um, but uh, but they're evolutionary biologists, and and both of these are really rooted in the natural sciences. So um, they look at it, and I love what Brett Weinstein said at the end there. He's like, "This is going to be the downfall of everything," <laughs> you know. Um, so he sees something really interesting uh, rooted. Um, in this issue that we're working through right now on the planet, this gender issue. Um, so with that, with those things being talked about, these different videos that are out there, you know, what's 
what do you, how do you look at gender um, as opposed to sex? Yeah, so the distinction, to my knowledge, really only came up in the last century. Uh, pretty much everyone, dis- uh, if you look at ancient societies, if you look at the way that they communicated about these things, you're not going to see anything in the Iliad. You're not going to see anything in Shakespeare. You're not going to see anything in Homer. You're not going to see anything in uh, Galileo, Copernicus. None of these guys, Michelangelo, none of them are going to be talking about the distinction between sex and gender because they were synonymous in their minds. You have male and female, and you determine that based on their biology, specifically their reproductive biology. So as I I think it was Lacey was talking about, there are distinctions between what we call primary sexual biology and secondary, things like breasts uh, versus things like the penis and the vagina. Uh, When it comes to primary biology, that has always been the distinguishing point between male and female, meaning it is possible for men, whether it's through like developing breast cancer or having too much estrogen or something like that, uh, developing breasts. But that doesn't make them a female. They weren't understood as being female uh, because even if you as a male develop breasts, you're never going to be able to develop the necessary things to be able to breastfeed. You're not going to actually be able to sustain a child on your breast. That becomes just like uh, an anomaly within your biology. It's not something that actually can provide for someone's life. Uh, and that, that's really, really important. Now, the way that we've understood in the last century is, well, the distinction is sex is your biological sex gender is the way you think about your sex so if i am biologically a male yet i feel as if i'm a female therefore i am now a different gender now once you say that once you say well you know we've originally thought of these things as male and female but there's actually different things gender is a spectrum and someone who's trans exists somewhere on that spectrum they're not fully a male because if i'm a man and i transition to be a woman then my biological sex even if i get surgeries to alter that i'm not going to be able to have a baby a man who gets all the organs of a woman and looks like a woman even if i start when that person's a child and i put them on hormone blockers and they look anatomically identical to a female they will still never be able to bear a child. That's just an impossibility for them. And it's because of their DNA. It's because of their DNA. It's because of their chromosomes. It's because they they lack that developmental position for them to be able to do that. And so because of that, they don't fit neatly into male or female. They're somewhere in the middle. Now, once you say there's a middle, then you open the door to all sorts of things. And that's kind of what's happened. So... Uh, for anyone who's wondering, like, how did we go from two to like fifty? Because right now, because <laughs> right decade. now, right now there is like debate on how many genders, and it's. I, I think I heard up to sixty-two or sixty-four at one point. Right. It's it's ever inflating. You know, it's a it's a it's a bag that has no limit to its elasticity. You know, <laughs> it is just going to always inflate, inflate, inflate. It'll never pop. <laughs> and uh, that that's what Lacey was saying is that if you say there's a middle that there's not just these hard and fast categories then you basically give rise especially if you say by the way that gender is self-identified that it's not something that can be 
actually identified in a scientific way, meaning I cannot look at someone, I cannot look at a trans man and say, uh, before surgery, you're a trans man. I have to talk to that person and then they have to reveal that to me. And that's the same with all these other genders that's self-identified because of that, since it's self-identified, there is no limiting factor because it's whatever someone thinks they are. So, and there's an infinite, not infinite, but there's a large amount of people. So it, it, it the potential is, is that you could have 6.4 billion <laughs> genders. genders. That's right. <laughs> and that, that's, why this thing is continuously growing and you know from a philosophical point the reason why this is happening uh, kind of comes down to the idea of identity i think our culture uh, and this is kind of an aside but this is one of the reasons why i think we're in the last days <laughs> i think our culture has finally reached the limit of what was predicted in the garden of eden so if you remember, like to flip things back, right? So to go all the way back to the other side of the pendulum, you have the fundamental distinction between humanity, male and female, created in the Garden of Eden, right? So the distinction wasn't between father and son, mother and daughter, nothing like that. It was man and wife. And the distinction was specifically about the reproduction. So when God brings Eve to Adam, he doesn't say, hey, here's someone different than you. Go have fun, you know, build a really great friendship and get along. He says, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. So in other words, he says, the importance of the distinction is to reproduce. That's why it exists. And there's a really important biological perspective there. Now, when God does that, you are looking at an environment of humanity in which our identity is a hundred percent given god tells them who they are what they are and they just accept it there's no questioning whatsoever who they are what they are they accept the given identity that god has given them then they fall and they reject the given identity right and that was the whole point of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you will be like gods distinguishing between good and evil Right. You're going to know what's right and wrong for yourself as opposed to just accepting whatever God says about you. That was a, a fundamental point for humanity in transitioning away from naked and unashamed, clothed in truth and clothed in righteousness, right relationship with God and moving into a new phase of life where now we are self-affirmed and moving forward in different ways. Now, after that, humanity has basically they've created their own views of right and wrong. But when you look at it, and C.S. Lewis does a really good job of explaining this and going through different cultures and showing this in his book, The Abolition of Man, great book. And he shows that even though humanity to an extent is creating our own identity and creating our own views of right and wrong, they're only really bending what's already there. They're not breaking anything. Right. Right. They they're still, bending a good, the good. They're bending the good. They're they're torquing it they're twisting it but they're not breaking it right so he went through and he's like he, you can't find a culture that believed that stealing from a member of your own tribe was good you're not going to find that you're not going to find a culture that says abusing a member of your own tribe is good uh, but you will find stealing and killing members of other tribes are good right that's the bending that's happening 
Uh, so fundamentally, we agree on things like morality. We agree on things like what we see in the physical universe, science, and we can agree on things like gender and what we find in our own anatomy. These are things that cultures around the world have believed. And there's some shifts here and there, but they're bent. They're not broken. What he said about the postmodern movement based upon existentialism is he says what we're looking at here is the first time humanity has broke the natural order where we're no longer saying there's a natural order that exists and we have to conform to it in order to survive. Now we're saying there's a natural order that exists, but what I think about it is what really matters. And that's what's at the core of reality. And so our identity previously was to a certain extent given to a certain extent self uh, affirmed now it is almost a hundred percent self-affirmed and so when you come when you come to this new generation you have you know someone growing up they're a teenager you already are insecure you already don't know your place in the world you don't know who you are and now someone is telling you something as fundamental as your gender is up to you to put that level of power in the hands of a 13 year old is scary. And now they know if I just say, well, I'm born with a penis, so I guess I'm a man. If you say that, no one's gonna hate you for it, but you're also not gonna get applauded for it. But if you say, well, I'm this, and you provide a different gender than what you were given, you're gonna be applauded, you're gonna be loved, you're gonna find belonging, you're gonna find understanding, you're gonna find sympathy. Yeah, you're going to find some people coming against you, but the amount of affirmation and celebration you're going to gain from choosing a different gender is incredible. Yeah, and this is what, I mean, this is one of, what you're talking about with that shift in um, ideologies is something that I think even these people that, are, that aren't Christians uh, are struggling with. Right. Yeah, because they're seeing in their ideologies of being a, an evolutionist, they're looking at thousands upon thousands, actually millions upon millions of years yeah. of the way science is. And, and it's an objective truth. It's something that's verifiable, testable, and it's repeatable. Right. So it's based off the scientific method. You, every time something's born that's um, um, warm-blooded, you know, it's either male or it's female. Right. It either has these genitalias right. and they're uh, and then they're being told, well, no, that's not really the case. Right. So and now we're living in a day and age where, you know, doctors um, are saying things like, well, you know, it, 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 can you really say that that baby was a boy right. or that uh, that's a girl right. or this kind of thing? And uh, we have it's self-actuated, then you can't. Right, because we don't want to infringe on the baby's identity right. and how this baby is going to grow up and identify itself. Right. Um, and which is really odd, you know, it's really odd because it really takes uh, any kind of objective truth out of, like, it takes the rug and it just sweeps it right from underneath someone. Yeah, so and I think that's what he means when he says this is 
This is it. This is the end. This is the end. And even when hey, even when you got the evolutionist going, <laughs> we're at the end, bro. <laughs> <laughs> when an evolutionist, evolutionary biologist starts talking like it's the end times. When he's all getting all apocalyptic on <laughs> us, we know something's going down. <laughs> something's <laughs> happening. Yeah, I mean, I, I love it. Let me let's finish what he says because he's he's you can look at his face. He's just like, man, this is crazy. <laughs> it's yeah. it. You're absolutely right. It is going to result in the destruction of everything, as, as we pointed out a long time ago. Um, you know, if your schools of engineering are going postmodern, then the point is you're giving an advantage to any competitor who can manage not to suffer that same fate, right? And mm-hmm. so basically we're talking, you know, on a global scale of those societies that can resist this nonsense are going to have, you know, the gates of the city thrown open to them. True, and- but in, but in the meantime... Bridges may start falling. Right. And oh. in the meantime, as medical schools are captured and cannot agree to the, like, really the easiest and most basic observable fact of human biology. Right. I mean, if they started saying that humans have three legs, I'd find that more plausible. Right. Right. Like, th- if, if, this is gonna. This is gonna be killing people because guess what? As we you know, as we go through the evidence, you know, very very briefly in a different part of this chapter, you know, the number of medical conditions that manifest differently, not just in frequency, but in but with regard to etiology, that is what causes them, and with regard to symptoms, how they manifest by sex is huge and growing all the time. And A, that's going to start disappearing. We're not going to be able to know about it. The research isn't going to be allowed. And people are going to arrive in hospitals presenting with things where if you don't even get to know as a doctor what sex is, we're going, and it's and it's largely, frankly, probably um, going to affect more women than men. So ju- just as, just as um, the vast majority of medical research until the mid 20th century was done on on men, and it was assumed that what was true for men was true for everyone, it was pretty recently that we started seeing a recognition that men and women reveal disease differently. And this improved women's health care. Well, this is just going to take us right back. Well, I think it's even worse than that. I love him. <laughs> it's even worse. She's than already that. saying something like terrible. And he's like, well, you know, you're a bit optimistic here. <laughs> she's like, this is the collapse of modern medicine. So basically what she's saying, what I'm gathering is what she's saying is when you do take the rug out from underneath um, on in, in this ideology. So you pull out any objective truth as far as there being really a uh, sex and and gender really are root our gender is really rooted in biology and now it's rooted in what you're talking about uh, a philosophical identity you know how one person views themselves now and when you have generations that are raised that way now it changes the way medical education works right 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 because she's saying and this is that's interesting i it's something i'd never really thought of uh, until she said it but the way that diseases affect people based on their sex actually matters right for a doctor to figure out what symptoms are being manifested how they began how do this uh this virus this disease this disorder is affecting them and what it could do to them some of them are totally based on your sex and if a doctor can't ask you what's your sex you know if, they, if that's an offensive question 
then we've moved into a very dangerous territory. Or if the or, or if the ideology of education, like this, like she she s- showed that tweet from that lady from Harvard, mm. who was offended yeah. by this kind of language yeah. that that uh, uh, Brett and um, and uh, the lady there um, uh, is sharing, mm-hmm. you know, then you might have a whole. Uh, education system, people going through academia, g- g- trying to get their uh, their medical doctorate, and uh, you know be- become a doctor, but yet all along they've been trained in this ideology of not being able to work with this what seems to be an objective truth mm-hmm. of male and female um, in this biology. Are they going to be able to even ask the questions or if government passes certain laws of how you can talk about uh, sex and how you can talk about gender, uh, what is going to be the liability of a doctor in, in that profession mm. um, you know, if they were to breach the, the, um, the government's, you know, the law? Yeah. Uh, of this um, you know what you know how does that work I yeah. mean you think you, you look 30 years 40 years ahead 50 years ahead and you go whoa man uh, this is really interesting now I have another thought too and that is it seems to me that when you have a philosophy that is rooted in this kind of um, whatever I feel or whatever I think that is now some sort of objective truth mm. and and it's one thing, see, it's one thing if you think about something and you just keep it to yourself. Right. But it's another thing when you now are expecting or you're demanding right. a society uh, f- think like you. Right. On something that is a known truth. Uh, and what I'm saying by known truth is it's observable, testable, and repeatable. Everybody who's born has a penis or a vagina. Um, so then we we now remove all that. Um, now what what are we asking? We're, we're asking a group of people to come in who are in authority to step into place and to uh, um, um, legislate um, what society is supposed to do. Right. And because nothing's rooted in objective truth, it doesn't make any sense to most of the population. Right. You know? And the move was very tricky and very fast. The, the, the time between these two moves was very, very quick. I don't think anyone expected it. The first move was speech is violence. So in other words, if I am speaking to someone who's trans, this is just one aspect of what that phrase means. If I'm speaking to someone who's trans and I misgender them, I assume that I'm talking to a man because anatomically you look like a man. And so I call you sir uh, and I'm, I'm trying and I speak to you like I'm speaking to a man. That's an act of violence now because I've infringed on your self-identity and that might be harmful to you. So a lot of people and myself included would look at that and say, well, I don't, I don't like it, but okay. I could, I could be okay with that, that I, I I don't want to willingly offend somebody, 
But then there was a lot of people like Jordan Peterson who were like, no, <laughs> like you can't you can't tell me that I can't offend because in order to have free speech means that you risk offending somebody. Like whenever you have a conversation with someone, you're risking offending them and you can't outlaw offense. That's not how that works. And there were a lot of people who were fighting it. Now, the majority of people who were fighting it. It's because they saw the second move. And the second move is now silence is violence. So it was speech is violence, meaning if you say something that offends me, you're now committing an act of violence. Now silence is violence means unless you agree with me and praise me, you're committing an act of violence against me. And that's where we're at now. That's where we're at today, where it's no longer, hey, if that's how you feel in your own mind, go for it. I'm not going to tell you not to dress that way. I'm not going to tell you not to do that. If you want to do it to your kid, go. It's more of like the libertarian kind of, hey, hands off, do what you do what you got to do in your own life. Now it's moved to no, no, no. Now we are insisting that you treat me the way I feel I am. And if you don't, you're committing an act of violence. That's kind of a scary move. Yeah, well, how, I mean, the the legislative ramifications for that seem so um, arbitrary. Right. You know, it, it's like, how do you, how do you, how did, where, where does that stop first, since you have 60, uh, six over six billion people on the planet right. with potential six billion genders, right? Because um, they they could potentially have their own ideologies on their identities, right? Then how how do you how do you how do you really get a government to legislate that? Right, and they already are, and it's it's moving in like I said, scary speed. Because the the whole silence is violence thing, I would say that started about maybe two or three years ago. So very recent. And very, you said silence recent. is violence. Silence is violence. Um, if so you don't say something, it's violent. That's right. Unless if I don't praise you, right. if I don't affirm you and what you're saying, then I'm committing an act of violence. So uh, let me give you two examples that happened this last week that are in the silence is violence category. Uh, in California, we've talked about this before, but in California, they have now allowed any male who self-identifies as a female doesn't there's no test there's no have you been diagnosed with gender dysphoria by psychologist nothing if i just say i am a female they will send me to a female prison now we're having inmates in california state prisons getting pregnant from their fellow inmates and a lot of them are not getting pregnant from consensual sex they're being sexually assaulted in their cell by male inmates who have not taken hormone blockers. They have not had the surgeries. They're just identifying as female. And so silence and violence would say, because prior, if you say speech is violence, you'd be like, okay, you, you think you're a woman. That's great. But biologically, you're a man. You need to go to male prison. <laughs> you know, that, would, that was how it was. Now, silence is violence is, no, 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 since you... Uh, since you identify as a female, if I don't affirm you, then I'm committing an act of violence, which means that I have to do everything I can to treat you just like I would a woman, including sending you to a female prison. That's one example. Very scary. Uh, second example is a child. I can't remember where this was, uh, but there's actually a couple cases of this happening. And so man and woman have a kid. They're married. At the age of three, the wife decides, I think my son is really 
a girl. I think he actually is a girl, and I think he sees himself as a girl. The dad's like, no, our son is a son, and yeah, he likes to wear some female things. Like, he likes to wear high heels and stuff like that, but it doesn't make him a girl, and it doesn't mean he thinks he's a girl. It just means he likes wearing stuff like that. That doesn't mean anything. But the mom was so insistent on it that it actually led to them getting a divorce. They went to a court, and the judge ruled in favor of the woman to start their son on hormone blockers so that he will never go through puberty. He won't go through puberty as a, as a boy. That, that's a big deal. That's going to have a lot of long-reaching effects for him in the future, and the father has lost custody of his son as a result of that. Wow. So that's the idea of silence is violence. It's not just like the dad wasn't saying, Hey, no way, you know, I'm going to take him to conversion therapy and they're going to shock him and they're going to make him think he's a boy. And I'm going to force him to be a boy. That's not what he's saying. He's just like, I don't want to put my son on hormone blockers. If he thinks he's a, a girl in his head, that's okay. We could, we could deal with that, but I'm not okay with him doing unalterable damage to his biology based on something that he a might grow out of and b even if he doesn't there are trans activists out there like blair white who are like uh who is a male who transitioned to be a female but now regrets it because she wants to have kids of her own of his own and he can't because his biology has been altered to the extent that he can't do it anymore so this has so his, his body was damaged through the through these hormone surgery. blockers and surgeries mm -hmm. uh so that he doesn't have any semen and uh, to that his he actually naturally produces to be able to have children the same would be true for this kid he's not going to be able to have kids of his own so if he when he's 17 18 he's like wait i'm not a girl and he goes back to being a boy or even if he doesn't and he still thinks he's a girl but he wants to have kids he can't do that anymore so for a biblical point of view this seems to go fly right in the face of what you're talking about with the be fruitful and multiply right that this seems to be the big issue is that God has established an objective truth. Uh, the objective truth is that there is male and female, hmm. and that, that those are sexes, and that gender really is linked to those to those that that sex. Hmm. Um, and we could talk a little more about the maybe fluidity of gender hmm. uh, in a culture, but it but not but biblically speaking, you could think about it as not being fully detached from sex. Hmm that that gender seems to still be linked quite a bit with your sex and there's an, a purpose this be fruitful and, and multiply now um that seems to be in a real affront to the biblical mandate right you know but there's another idea that i think is just really interesting and, and quite scary um on the planet and that is most modern what we, we they used to call them first world countries um w people call them now like western countries or you know but uh, you know they they you look at their populations and they're decreasing mm. um and this is seems to be a trend and has been a trend for so many years mm. um you know from the 60s up yeah and of course you definitely can r r scientifically point to these certain markers uh, like birth control and sexual revolution and all these things like this uh, that really breaks down these trends of the depopulation of countries. Mm. And, and this seems to me to be a really strong argument 
uh, against homosexuality and transgender hmm. um, uh, in uh, the transgender movement. And this is what is your what is important in the big picture of humanity uh, is is populating important at all right because um, right now we're on a trend to not populate right. and um, so you know that's what I don't quite understand it seems like there's a disconnect mm. you know with that of where people don't think about that of about like hey what is the ramifications of not having children on the planet right you know like what if everybody lived the way I'm living yeah you know yeah and th you know there's a there's a a movie on on Amazon Prime right now it's called The Tomorrow War with Chris Pratt and I I love the concept the execution wasn't the best but there's still enjoyment there I enjoyed it and the whole premise I think is genius so the, the premise is is that in the future there's this war from these aliens and humanity is basically all wiped out and they figure out a way to come back in time and they want the people back in time to come forward in time with them to fight this war because they're like hey we're your we're your sons we're your daughters we're dying we need help please come and fight this war with us and what i thought was really cool about the movie is it showed i think kind of a realistic view of it where people are protesting they're like we don't want to go forward and it shows this self-important kind of narcissism where it's like i don't really care about how this is going to affect the future i only care about protecting my rights now and that's kind of I, I wish they would have spent more time on that, but they had to get to the action. So but they, they had these interesting action where that's the mentality of a lot of the people where they're like, I don't care if my kids are dying in the future. I only care about enjoying my life today. That's all I care about. And we see that where there's attacks on we're not really thinking about how these things might impact the future in any real or rational way. But we are very concerned about how this might affect the way that I feel today. In other words, my feelings are more important than the repercussions. And I think that's another thing that uh, I can't remember her name. The Lacey? The no, 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 the woman on the Dark Horse podcast. Yeah. Uh, I can't remember her name. But essentially that's what she's Heather. saying of why this disturbs her so much is that we're making this decision sometimes maybe even knowing that there's going to be horrific repercussions but just not caring saying my assessment of self and my fragile ego are so important that i don't care how it affects the world i don't care how it affects the culture i only care how it affects me now this is what i find another interesting thing about this topic and this is a really interesting topic is how it fits into prophecy right and and this is kind of what i find fascinating let me know what you think about this yeah but self-identification philosophy okay so pulling the rug out of objective truth and now having an ideology based on identity which can pr uh, which uh, potentially could be um, exponential growth because you have the ideology now is a self-identity identity ideology and it can like we say can be as many people on the earth can have their own <laughs> self-identify ideologies and right. they want rights for their the way they're identifying right and so what it does is it pushes in uh, the world into this uh, it leads to a, an, uh, an author authoritarianism mm -hmm. 
um, an author, author, what is it? What am I trying authoritarian. To authoritarian kind of way of ruling the government. Right. Um, because it, it basically pushes, it seems like, um, the society into what you're doing is you're forcing legislation right. on individual identity. Right. If you can control the way that people speak, you're not in a free society anymore. That's about, I mean, if a government has control of what you say, that in the confines of your home, the way that you talk to just fellow people, not what you say about the government, not what you say in some, some broad sense, but if the government has control of what you say on that specific level, you're not in a free society anymore. You're in a very, very oppressive society. Yeah, so what it seems like, uh, it's it, the, the, the Bible talks about this one world government. Right. And it seems like we're, the way the ideologies coming about right now, because there is no objective truth, things are subjective, but humans can't live like that. Right. Humans have to live with an objective truth. So they heap up the government as the people who can legislate some form of objective truth through right. the judicial systems. Right. And so even though they might alter and change and become really weirded out in, in the sense of fluid mm. um, um, in the way they legislate law, um, uh, you know, it's, it, it, they're asking for that. Right. They're asking for uh, the government to do that. Right. Where instead of just you living your life the way you want to live it and you live in a, 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 a with a government that says, hey, you know, your sexuality, you want to do what you want to do with it, you do it. Right. You know, as long as you're not, you know, murdering someone, you know, uh, coercing someone into doing something, you know, that kind of thing. You know, there's a limited amount of government and, you know, you just individually do what you want to do. Right. Um, you know, um, but now when you're demanding um, uh, that that you have rights, objective rights, things that you're saying are true to you, right? It seems like we're it's pushing bigger government. Government has to make decisions on things maybe it never made decisions on before, right? It and and to me that seems to be lockstep in touch with the latter days where there uh where we see a totalitarian regime yeah um, how does it get that my point is is that how does it get to that totalitarian antichrist right well it seems like you have to have an ideology like this yeah. that is so subjective that at some point it naturally will uh heap up right um a a government to try to deal with things right and not just a government but an individual so what you see in the book of revelation is you see the antichrist demanding worship of self uh that he wants people to worship him uh now there's there's similarities that we can see throughout world history of like say the pharaoh thinking that he's an incarnation of Ra or something like that uh, we see si situations where that happens but I think you're right. Only in a culture like this that is so pushed aside reason and objectivity and any form of organized religion, the, mankind are we're born worshipers and we will worship something. And now that we've removed these things, I think people are thirsty for something to worship. And so they're reaching out and they're deifying political and scientific figures. 
uh, which I think is really interesting because it's kind of a perfect mashup of Brave New World in 1984. Yeah, I've seen some videos on that. Where in 1984, Orwell's like, yeah, no, it's going to be the state. You know, the state's going to be like the god. And, and there's that famous line of freedom is being able to say two plus two equals four. In other words, the state's going to have so much power that it's going to actually arbitrate truth, even to such a fundamental level as math. <laughs> and then you get into a brave new world and it's the state, but the state is actually being run by scientific bureaucrats who have become like this priestly oligarchy system which I think is really fascinating. And what you're seeing in the United States right now is kind of like a mashup where you're seeing the bureaucratic state being deified. The guys, people like the CDC, the NIH, they're like the priestly system. But then you do have people also deifying politicians like Joe Biden and just or even Trump or even Trump. Yeah. Uh, Even the right. So uh, those Christians who are out there be like, yeah, those those foolish liberals out (laughs) there. You know, the the Republicans did the same thing with Trump. We are so thirsty for religion that, man, if you're not worshiping the true and living God, you're going to find something way lesser to worship. And that's usually a man. So we do see the stage being set for a guy like the Antichrist to be like, I'm God. And in order to buy, sell, or trade, you're going to have to take my mark. In order to do this, you're going to have to uh, basically kowtow to my entire system, and people will do it. And that's a terrifying thought, but it's true. And as Christians, I think there's, there's two ways we have to look at it. And I, I love what one pastor said. He said, Christians have to be the most simultaneously pessimistic and optimistic people on the planet. Mm-hmm. Like simultaneously, we have to be the most pessimistic people on the planet because what we believe as Christians, if you look at the end, if you read the end of the book, humanity doesn't get it right. Humanity gets it very wrong. And so Christians are going to be very pessimistic about where things are going because we know the truth that humanity won't get it right. And and that's why, you know, just in, in, a, in a little short thing, that's why a lot of Christians uh, or just, I think, religious people in general, in, in especially the theistic um, religions, monotheism, that is, right. um, that's why a lot of people are skeptical of, say, the vaccine. Right. And if people get upset, well, it's because there is a pessimistic side. Right you know, of us. Yeah, of, there's a large pessimism. Right, of, <laughs> of just like, of just like, do we really trust, you know, the capitalism on steroids scientific community? Right. You know, uh, the oligarchy. Right. Um, and, um, you know, that kind of thing, you know, yeah. and, and we know that there's a lot of passages that say, hey, don't trust that, <laughs> you yeah. know, like, like, you know, that's, that's not, um, that's not the system you want to be putting your faith in. No, for and, sure. And so there's there's a little bit of a step back on that of just like, uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> this, right. this seems very, uh, you know, totalitarian. It seems very fear mongering. It seems very manipulative. It seems right. very coercive, um, you know, these kind of things. It seems like you say, uh, you know, it, when you if you you know, your speech, like, uh, you know, people are being canceled, those kind of things. And that's all that all doesn't help. Right. You know, it doesn't help people getting the shot when, you know, big tech's canceling people. Yeah. That doesn't help, you know, the religious people of the world to go, man, I'm real confident in, in this. Yeah. You know, because when you see see those things happening, you go, man, there, there, there definitely is a power struggle that's going on right now. Right. Um, you right. Know? 
And then the flip side is that Christians can also be intensely optimistic, the most optimistic people on the planet at the mm-hmm. same time. And if we lose one of the two, we become lopsided. And a lot of Christians have become that way. Now, why are we optimistic? Well, we're optimistic for two very important reasons. Mm-hmm. Number one, we're optimistic because what we believe, and again, if you read the book of Revelation, is that the worse things get, the more ready people will become to meet their true Savior, Jesus Christ. So in other words, what we should expect is that governments will get worse and worse, but people will become more and more ready to accept the truth of the gospel. So we have to be on standby to be like, hey, we could reach out to people. We can share the gospel, and they're going to be ready to hear it. If you're just pessimistic, then you're just going to hunker down and be like, the world sucks. <laughs> you know, The government sucks. I'm tuning out. I'm just going to hunker down in my basement and I'm just going to let the world burn. You know, and that's, that's kind of the idea. And if you're only optimistic though, then some Christians get into this idea of like, well, no, no, we got to change these. We got to fix it. We got to do it. You could get worked up and incredibly reactive thinking that it's you who's going to save the world. When the Bible says it's Christ, what's our final hope that Jesus will return and set everything right. Mm-hmm. So as we see things going down, what does Jesus say? Look up for your salvation draws near. I'm coming back and I'm going to set this world right. I am the hope that you're looking for. Be looking for me. And so many Christians, what I, I've seen during this time is I see so much fear. I see so much anger. I see so much just animosity yeah. and pessimism and despair sure and all those things run contrary to what we should be feeling in this moment yeah so getting back to this idea kind of the prophetic uh idea here is that you know the bible says that we're going to move into this totalitarian world um uh government system that's going to take place and to me like the gender issues because it pulls the rug from objective truth really forces government to do things that it wouldn't normally do. So it puts it in more of a place of authority. That's what you're asking. Right. You're saying, hey, you know, I have my identity. I want my rights. I'm asking you to give me these rights. Right. And you get enough people doing that and um, and enough um, people that are backing you with money and money rules the world, mm. then, you know, uh, hence there, there's a power struggle there and, and things grow, governments grow. Mm. Um, but not only that, but like you said too, the Brave New World idea is that you actually push science to uh, a pressure on science. Mm. And I think that's where scientism comes in, mm. is, is what's happened is scientism is a result of this kind of postmodern ideology. Right where all of a sudden you have science, you know, the, the, the what is verifiable, testable, and repeatable, the scientific method, and uh, how science is done, mm. but then you have scientism, right. this philosophy that science knows what's best for you. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> Which it, is interesting. Yeah, <laughs> where it's become this philosophy. Right. Um, and, 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 and now you have people that, um, you know, want to, they go, hey, I want my identity to be validated. And so it pushes, again, big government. But I also think it's pushing into this growth in scientism as well. I think so, too. And 
So, you know, there was an interesting interview between, you know, Ben Shapiro, who's like a conservative talk show host, and Neil deGrasse Tyson, uh, who's like a scientist and he's into cosmology and stuff like that. Really smart dude. I like his voice. <laughs> it sounds very soothing. Yeah. And I was listening to this interview and Ben Shapiro asked him about gender and he was like, hey, you're as a scientist. And he threw it out as like an aside of like, you know, what do you think about people attacking objective truth? As a scientist, does that bother you? And he threw this out as an example, like, you know, a man saying he could be a woman or a woman saying he could be a man. And his answer was like, it shocked me because I kind of thought he was going to do like a Hitchens and be like, yeah, it's crazy. But instead he was like, well, well, wait, you know, like it is scientifically true that men think that they could be women. He's like, yeah, but it doesn't change the biology. He's like, well, yeah, you know, so scientifically we would say that biologically he's still one thing. But I mean, if he gets surgeries, then he is really anatomically like a female. So that is scientifically a fact that he mentally identifies one way and he now physically appears that way. So in other words, he's saying, no, 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 scientifically, a man can be a woman. Mm. And I thought that was a really fascinating answer. And obviously this woman on the podcast would highly disagree with Mr. Tyson, but that's what I think is happening is that you have pressure where people in a brave new world thought that science is this pure act of mythology of you know finding truth and people who are doing it are pure as the driven snow they have no agendas they have no purposes they just want truth yeah they don't have any ideologies that's or right philosophical there's no philosophy presuppositions there. going they're just on. trying to find truth but what you saw in a brave new world is no no, no this could be weaponized and agendas can be put into this to say to make data twist to say whatever we want and again, that's the famous line that I quote so often by Mustafa Mons. It's great. Yeah, science is cookbook, and I'm the head chef. Yeah. It's like, you, you think this is a pure this is a pure study, line of study? No, no, no. I have agendas too. And if I want my scientific research to read a certain way, it's going to read that way. Yeah, at the end of the book of Brave New World, you, you have this encounter with the main person, the main um, uh, uh, person that's... Uh, the book's about right. and then you have uh, a meeting his name is John right yeah you have a meeting with uh, this guy Mustafa Mond who's now uh, the head of the 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 world order the scientific right. world order and he and, and it's cool how Mustafa Mond talks yeah. you know because he the way he's presented by Huxley is you know hey um, you know it, it, like by now you should know that you know science is just a a a a um a book with a bunch of recipes on it yeah and the ones that uh you know the chief cooks put in yeah you know and that's what's on the recipe that's what's on the menu right it's just what the cooks put in and then he has that cool line yeah. and i'm the <laughs> chief cook now <laughs> you know i mean you kind of drop the the mic at that point you know yeah. because it's kind of like oh crap yeah <laughs> <laughs> you know? it's like this guy's saying that he's gonna put in what he wants to put Basically in. Basically whatever he wants, yeah. Yeah, he just puts it in and he's got the people because the people are devoid of God. They're devoid of objective truth. They've, they've laid a claim to subjective truth. Right. They've now, they've now promoted that so much where now they've heaped up a government to, to legislate this subjectivity. Mm. And, but yet they demand objectivity. Right. 
because it's cr they're created that way, yeah. so they're desiring for objective truth, and science comes in and becomes the, the preachers, it becomes the pastors, right. and it becomes the evangelist to give them some sense of there is an objective truth they're following. Right. So when science comes out and says, hey, oh, well, maybe there is more than two sexes, right. you know, this seems to validate uh, their subjective thinking but it, it also it also quenches the need for an objective truth, right? You know, and because they maybe throw off God, and uh, or a monotheistic God that is, um, uh, cr the Christian God uh, that says He made a male and female, right. you go, hey, I'm going to go to another source to find uh, some sense of objective truth that I could. Uh, you know, hold fast to the word. Right. So everything that Christians are told to do, hold fast to the word, yeah. you know, read the word, study to show yourself approved. Christians aren't the only ones doing that. Right. You know? Right. And, and it does stand in sharp contrast to Christianity. Christianity says over and over again that what you think and what you feel it doesn't invalidate. It doesn't say, well, you know, people who think that they don't actually think it. They're being deceived. No, no, no. It says your heart is deceitful and wicked above all things who can know it. In other words, you do deceive yourself. It's not that, you know, people who are going to deny this and be like, no, this is totally societal. That's why people think this about their gender. No, no, no. There are some people out there who really do believe this. They really believe that they are in the wrong body. That's true. But what the Bible says is, is that's not to be trusted. You're not to trust what you think about reality. You're to trust what reality reveals to you. So in other words, this world says, look in, that's discover what's in. That's the existential philosophy. That's right. Look in and then project that out. What the Bible says is, look out and then project that in. And then it, it's to read you. That's you right. You look outside and then you're to read yourself by that standard that's out. That's right. And God being the chief cornerstone of that standard of how we understand gender. So if there's someone out there who's like, well, you know, I, I'm male, but I really do think I'm female or, you know, I'm, I'm confused. This is how I think. That's not to invalidate your feelings, but it's to say that what the Bible would encourage you is to say, we all take these feelings and these thoughts, and it says in 1 Corinthians 10, we take them captive to the glory of God. We look at them and we say, I know I feel this way, but it doesn't make it right. Right. And, 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 and so people today have a different standard for right and wrong. They've right. set that up, and, and because they can't, they, don't, they can't just live it on their own, they're asking the government to legislate what they're thinking. Right. Um, and, um, and what they're believing. Mm. Um, and, um, so we see, uh, uh, this, this all has ramifications and then there's the, the depopulation. And I think that brings science again. That's another pressure on science mm. because babies will have to get made. Now, Brave New World comes in with <laughs> Huxley and says, yeah, we'll make them alpha, yeah. beta, you know, we're going to go down the list and we'll make babies. Yeah. And uh, so we're going to take it off your hands. Right. And this, again, it's, it, it's like forcing totalitarianism. Right. And I don't, think, I don't think people that, you know, when they say, hey, I'm going to live in a homosexual lifestyle or, hey, I'm going to uh, live in a transgender uh, uh, style of life, you know, I don't think they understand mm. what they're asking for. If, if, if maybe you are asking for a totalitarian 
type of regime. Right. In the sense that now you put pressure on the scientific community to come up with ways to populate the planet. Mm. You know, you force the hand, mm. you know, in a sense, because you can't have a society without people. Right. It's not going to happen. You can't have you can't have growth. Right. You can't have financial growth. Right. Without people. Right. And that's and that's the whole point where, you know, when you look at democracy and especially the United States and the founding fathers, of the United States, the question that they always ask, because they intentionally weakened the government, they intentionally did that. And the question that they were always asking, because people can make the argument, well, if we give George Washington, you know, they wanted to make him basically the dictator. They basically wanted to make him the king. And the whole point was, yeah, I might do the right thing with that power. But whatever power you give me, imagine if I saw you as my enemy. So that's the idea. Whenever you give government power to vanquish your enemies, just imagine what if that same power was turned against you? What have you given the government the ability to do? And so if you're saying, I want to give the government the ability to control the speech of people who violate my feelings. Well, guess what? What if the government decides tomorrow that your speech hurts someone else's feelings? Are you okay with the government having that power? Yeah. So that and that's the 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 fear and the worry. And don't you wish have. the government just would say with these issues like, "Hey, that's not that's not what we do." That's not what the government's supposed that's to do. That's not what the government does. <laughs> the government's not supposed to support your feelings. Yeah, you know, like if, if you if do. you want a sex change, save up your money yeah. and pay for it. Yeah. You know, that's that's your right. Yeah. You know, or if you want to live in a homosexuality sexual thing, that's your you can do that yeah. but don't expect us to make more laws right. to somehow uh, you know fit into your ideology right um, you know the the government wants to have it seems like it should have um, an idea of you know benefiting procreation I can understand that because that is the let's face it even uh, Brett and Heather are in in the Dark Horse Inn podcast are saying that's the foundation right you know, so I want to finish the the videos just to see what they say, but I got to go to the bathroom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Throw them on. Gender is the way that body sex is interpreted and understood in the world, in society. The American Psychological Association defines gender as the attitudes, feelings, and behaviors that a given culture associates with a person's biological sex. And this is the definition that is, you know, widely used by experts. But when you look at the definition, you know, it's kind of broad and subjective. You know, attitudes, feelings, behaviors, like what does that even mean? And I think that this is one of the problems in this conversation is that the same word is being used to refer to like a million things. Gender sometimes refers to sex. How many genders? Basically two. Gender sometimes refers to society's gender roles. How many? Basically two. Gender sometimes refers to someone's outward gender expression. How many? Potentially infinite. Gender sometimes refers to individual gender identities. How many? Potentially infinite. And gender sometimes refers to labels and pronouns. It's language. How many? Again, potentially infinite. Okay, so the word gender can mean a lot of things in this conversation. So I think it's good to be specific. Question now is, well, which one of these definitions of gender do we use when we're talking about things like sexism or transphobia, feminism, anti-feminism, you know, gender differences in society? Well, this is where the anti-feminist, the radical feminist, and the liberal feminist schools of thought start to have some disagreements. Let's take a closer look, shall we? 
So I asked those of you who feel like there's only two genders to share why. And 53% of you told me there's only two genders because of biology. You know, there's male, female, XY, XX. And it, it's, just, it's not a complicated issue. This is fairly straightforward and so on and so forth. Logically, you know, let's walk through this. In its purest interpretation, gender equals biology implies that all of the differences that we see between men and women in society are ultimately the product of our bodies. You know, we're slaves to our bodies in a sense, and um, our social environment doesn't, you know, play a hand in shaping who we are. If biology alone creates the differences between men and women, these differences should be universal throughout the human species across every culture. And it would also be constant throughout history because biology, sex is the same all over the world. But when I look at the world, that's not what I see. I do see some variation. I see some common themes, some things that seem to be pretty widespread, but there are also a lot of differences too between cultures when it comes to gender and certainly throughout history. How do we account for cultures where the gender roles are completely swapped? How do we account for cultures where there are three, four, even five genders? I mean, I'm not just making this stuff up. It's real and it exists in the world and so we have to try to make sense of it. None of this is to say that biology plays absolutely no role in our behavior either. Do you know what she's talking about? Uh, so I took anthropology in college. I think what she's referencing is she's referencing cultures that say would have um, like in certain Indian cultures, for instance, they would castrate males and they would be considered a different quote unquote gender. But it is and I'm going to use this word anachronistic, meaning that when they were calling these groups of people who are castrated and they function as females and priestesses in a religious context, they are different. They are set apart from male and female roles within their society. But they, that culture would never have looked at that and said, this is a third gender. That's not how they looked at it. They looked at it as a role that this particular person took on as a result of religious obligation. So it's very misleading to say that they considered it three or four genders. That's something that, again, we've created. Uh, now, another interesting point that she makes when she says, well, how do you account for the fact that genders are different throughout cultures? Once again, that's a little misleading. What she, I think she means to say is that gender roles tend to be different given the culture, So, and which she's absolutely right. You could go to certain cultures and the men stay home with the children. For instance, there are societies in Tibet where the men are actually home with the kids and the women are out working. That's true, but that doesn't mean that that culture thinks, oh, well, men could become women and women could become men and men can have kids and bear them in their womb and women can, you know, that's not the way they thought. And it even does further uh, allude to the idea that we all all these cultures think that there are two genders and that they have distinctive roles within the society. The society plays with those roles. I would grant that, but that doesn't mean that it follows that we can conclude, therefore, men and women are interchangeable. And there was always like uh, environmental reason as to why the gender roles were swapped. Um, so for instance, in these Tibetan cultures, the reason why the gender roles were swapped was because there was just not that many people in their society 
there was no room for outsiders to come in because they're in mountains. And so therefore they became polygonist, which means that the women had multiple husbands. Now, the reason why they did that was to specifically limit their population, because if you allow men to just marry whoever they want, that the population grows and the resources in the small mountainous environment would be taken up. So they specifically did this to limit the population. And therefore, because these men are having all these kids and there's only one woman, it makes more sense for them to have the woman work and the men stay home with the children. But when you look at that, you can mess with the roles, but it doesn't change the genders. It doesn't change the sex and it doesn't even change the psychology of the particular genders within those societies. So they've done tons of studies around the world to take into account multiple variables as to why different people act in different ways. And what they found is that society does have an impact on how genders see themselves, but the impact isn't actually that big, meaning that society can only push so far, but you can't actually intrinsically change who someone is biologically. So for instance, it doesn't matter how much a culture pushes to make women stronger, right? If I grew up, let's say you had a culture where the culture only allowed women to exercise and it never allowed men to exercise. You can only push that biological difference so far though, because even with exercising, men will be naturally stronger, meaning the average man will still be stronger than the average female with or without training. So you can push it, but there's only so far you can push it. Yeah, there's a limit to the biology. There's a limit, exactly. So th there's, uh, I, I would say a lot of her language is a little bit misleading. Yeah, it's just not, it's very simplistic. Right. It, it's very simplistic and it is pushing an agenda, a yeah. very specific agenda. Yeah, and if, if, if you listen to her, you pro Now, she, um, she quotes American Psychological Association, this gender refers to attitudes, feelings, and behaviors that a given culture associates with a person's biological sex. Now, this is what we're trying to legislate, right? Is people's attitudes, feelings, right. and behaviors. Right. So I don't know if this is the first time that we're, um, uh, our, uh, it's obviously not the first time, but it, uh, it seems like a big push for this uh, subjective view of uh, people, just people's individual attitudes, feelings, and behaviors, trying to legislate those things. Right. It says, but gender refers to attitudes, feelings, and behaviors that a given culture associates with a person's biological sex. So the way the American Psychological Association puts it, and he who defines the the yeah. the argument wins, yeah. you know, and here she's using the American Psychological Association's right. definition of gender. Right. And so, and and I, I don't know if this was always the American Psychological Association's definition of gender. Well, whenever they drew a line and they said, this is sex, this is gender, that's how they've defined gender. So in other words, prior to that, sex and gender were synonymous. And so it wasn't, it had nothing to do with the way you feel. Mm -hmm. uh, you can't, so the, the idea, and it's very directed, this definition it has a very particular goal and it is to say that this is a subjective a purely subjective thing right yeah that's and that's my point is that the argument itself is uh it's uh what kind of fallacy is it like a like a straw man fallacy because it's defining something right and then it's like 
you know, trying to shoot down other things. Right. <laughs> you know, but it's, uh, but and the de- the definition, like, you don't really, like, what if you don't agree with American Psychological Association's definition of gender here? Right. Right? Or to even say, like, what evidence do you have that the distinction exists? You know, what definition do you have to say that this is what gender is? So if they're going to, if the, you know, American Medical Association gives me a definition of sex and they talk about there's observable things that you look at, you could be like, well, this is what a male traditionally has this is what a female traditionally has. And yeah, there are birth defects that exist in which these things may not be exactly what they're supposed to be. But the exception proves the rule that this is traditionally how things are. Now, when you come to the American Psychological Association, you can tell there's nothing objective or scientific about this definition. Nothing that's testable, nothing that's observable, and nothing that's repeatable. Because it's just attitudes and feelings and be, uh, I'm sorry, and behaviors, though all those things can shift at a moment's notice. All of those things can shift. I could have a different attitude about my gender tomorrow. I could have different behaviors regarding my regarding my gender tomorrow, right? None of those things actually reflect anything objective or anything testable. Well, what's really interesting too about this definition is when it's rooted this way. Say you do have, uh, uh, you need the government to legislate your now new I- identity, mm-hmm. um, and so you push for this legislation uh, so that you are now deemed, um, you know, like gender normative people but what happens is now gender normative becomes the the non-conformity to what now the new legislation is right isn't that isn't that weird how it kind of now it it, circular it's circular it's like i watched this really interesting video this girl who's who's by the way into all this right so she's not saying there's two genders she believes that uh, in all this that there's tons of genders and that you could be gender fluid and all that stuff and so she has this whole video where she's just confused, like clearly confused. And she says, okay, I think I'm a female, but I don't know what that means. Like, what does it mean to be a woman? And she's like, so if someone's going to message me back and say, well, you have boobs and you have a vagina, so therefore you're a woman. She's like, well, no, no, no that's sex. And if you say, well, you're into like dresses and you like this, then she's like, well, that's really offensive because that's typecasting women. Can't women be anything? Uh, can't women be a CEO? Can a woman do this? Can a woman do that? Or if they're saying, well, you're, you're more nurturing. Well, can a man be nurturing? And so she's just so confused of like, okay, I get that it's how I feel about myself, but what about myself means that I'm a woman? Like, what does it actually mean to be a woman? And she's so confused. And nobody could give her an answer, right? So if you read the comments, they're all like, well, you know, it just means that you just think of yourself as a woman. And what's the the first rule of defining a word? You can't use Use the word in the definition, right? So if if you're going to define a woman as being someone who identifies as a woman, you're not giving an actual definition. And you see how intellectually bankrupt this reasoning actually is. It doesn't actually promote reason it actually detracts from it which is scary (laughs) you know it is kind of scary yeah so it's so i wanted to bring that up the american psychological association's definition and i i do see that interesting problem is that you know when you do have a culture that now 
uh, takes things that were considered non-conformity to the norm mm -hmm. and makes that the norm, then now what is the norm becomes the non-conformity. Right. And and what is the ramifications to make um, the what is the norm, um, what we think of a male and a female and the relationships uh, of having children, what do we, what does that mean that we make that the non-conformity? Right. That's the non-conformity. That's the weird. Right. That's the odd. Right. You know, and, um, you know, maybe, and, and it's interesting because the Bible talks about the Antichrist in the book of Daniel in some weird ways. He's not one that he will change laws and seasons. Yeah. He will be a guy who won't be. Um, he won't uh, regard the religion of his fathers. Won't regard the religion of his fathers. He There's another thing it talks about. There's a little translation issue of what it means when he says he's, he won't be um, fond of women. Right. Um, he will not regard women. Yeah, he will not regard women. And there, there yeah, there's debate about what that means you <laughs> know like does it does it mean he'll hate women does it mean that he's going to abuse women does it mean that he is going to be uh not regard women meaning that he's going to be celibate the, some people translate it that way uh but i think what you're getting at is maybe he doesn't what he doesn't regard about women is he doesn't regard that women are real <laughs> you know, yeah there's a distinction yeah, yeah maybe in the, the gender yeah maybe the antichrist has this push of of the, of what is today considered the non-conformity, right? Uh, maybe that becomes the normal, right? And and that's why this guy is loved so much. Maybe mm. uh, a part of a part of why he's loved so much. He seems to be um, on the side mm. of quote the non-conformity, and those that are in the norm now are the non-conformity. And again, this push pressures to me, you know, when you go this route, you put pressure on legislative pressure on governments, you put uh, pressure on the scientific community. So let's, let's listen to a little, finish up with a little bit of the um, Heather and Brett. If you think about the game that we play politically, right, where we force you to effectively engage in a career of uh, legal corruption before you can get to the highest echelons of leadership, right? So we force you to prove that you will make the mental, the uh, moral compromises in order to play that game before we ever learn your name as a senator or you know, presidential candidate or anything like that. In this case, it's effectively, imagine that what we did was we just said, okay, from now on, we are gonna ask people a question before we let them into medical school. Do you agree that men can get pregnant? Right. And if the answer is, well, no, men can't get pregnant. Sorry, you're not qualified for medical school. Right. Then you get a medical school in which everybody agrees men can get pregnant. The question is, what is the quality of what will take place at a medical school where you had that as a gate? Right. right. The answer is that's not going to be much of a medical school because what you've just done is demonstrated that everybody there is a coward mm -hmm. or a fool or some combination of those things and if you you know build a medical school of cowards and fools it's not going to be a high quality one so at some level you have to empower people to be able to say look i get it that it's really unpleasant that there are you know two sexes and that we can distinguish them uh you know <laughs> immediately on birth except, except in very rare cases <laughs> right um but the fact is come on you cannot allow these things to take over essential functions. And essential functions means not only things like medicine and governance, but also things like 
the military, right? Mm -hmm. Increasingly, we are feminizing our military, which, you know, from the point of view of uh, us empathizing better with each other, there's an argument to be made for it. From the point of view of the ability to have a, you know, unique gender profile, what you really need is a powerful masculine military to protect the freedom that allows you to figure out how you want to live, right? If you say, well, that freedom should exist in the military too, and why is this military regimen, you know, so dictatorial? Shouldn't it be democratic? And, you know, shouldn't we figure out, you know, let's not make a military move until everybody's had a chance to speak, right? <laughs> I mean, you can imagine applying these rules being well-intentioned, but my God, you're going to create a system that cannot function. Yeah, chain of command goes right out the window. Yeah, it sure does. Yeah. So that's another interesting kind of idea, huh? How it how it affects military. And and I just keep going back to this idea, Peter, that it pushes it, it you know, when you have um people living in a way where it forces government and science to become the juggernauts, you know, in the world. Um, then all all the breakdowns will be filled um, with, you know, people will make money off all the breakdowns. You need children, we'll get you children. That's another business. Right. Does that make sense? Right. It's like, and what you're doing is you're creating just more giant universal oligarchy systems, you know, to because no longer people can be sustainable on their own. Right. You know, they you can't just have a, a man and a woman and have kids. Um, it's that so, you know, which is sustainable. You could sustain a, a family, you could sustain a society, a town, right. if people lived like that. But if you if but now you can't sustain that. Hmm. So now you need other people to sustain it. Yeah, which is so interesting because you know I read the abolition of man like. Uh, multiple years ago it may have been five or six years ago and at the time you know this stuff wasn't really on my mind gender I ideology and stuff like that uh and when i read it there's this really interesting part where he just it, it feels like a total non sequitur he's talking about the philosophical point of of how postmodernism is going to kill us then he moves and transitions randomly to talking about biological engineering and how we will one day be able to engineer fetuses basically to be what we want that's radical. And it seems so weird. And if you ever wonder, like, why is the book called The Abolition of Man is because C.S. Lewis says, like, we're no longer men because men are made in the image of God. But if we are biologically engineering the next generations, then they're no longer men. We've abolished mankind and we've created a new race in our image. It's what we want. And again, it sounded so weird. But in light of what's going on, I'm wondering if he saw this coming to the point where once objectivity gets erased, the most fundamental thing that he could think of that would be erased would be biological reproduction between a man and a woman. And if the government could then run that objectivity and utilize things like biological engineering, kind of like what you see in the Brave New World, where people aren't reproducing naturally anymore, but they're just taking people's reproductive data, basically, their sperm and their egg, they're mixing them together, they're putting them in these big fertilizing tubes, and the lower class people are basically designed, they're engineered by splitting the egg, I think like eight times, 
and allowing the genetic material become lesser and lesser until they've basically created um, eight identical people who are subservient. And then you have the alphas where they're kept whole and they're born to be in kind of the elite. And that, that was the idea of Huxley, that the government's going to basically artificially engineer society. They're going to actually create Well, it's going people. to have to. That's right. I mean, if you keep going on this trajectory. Yeah. You know, and if the if the normative today is now is now out and the nonconformity gender ideas are now in, mm. then it and, and you legislate against the normative today, you know, the male female uh, idea, then it's just a matter of time before the ramifications are um, uh, a less and less population base. And that that is also another really debated passage in the book of Revelation where it talks about the prophet. Um, well, it talks about the Antichrist basically making an image of himself and then the prophet giving it life in some way and people worship the beast for it. And some people have theorized that what's being going on here is maybe cloning to a certain extent. That when it says he's making an image of himself, he's not making like a robot or something like that or a mural. He's making another human being from his genetic code that he is basically um, maybe bringing about kind of what we're talking about, that he's bringing about biological engineering from himself and people are going to worship him for that. I, I think it's a fascinating idea. It's definitely yeah. one of those things where could be true, could be not. <laughs> but I think it's a really interesting idea. Yeah. So quick cor cor uh, correction. I think on the Lacey video, this American Psychological Association definition, I think it would be the fallacy of begging the question. Right. So it, which is the definition of if that is assuming the thing to be true that you are trying to prove. Right. So, so you just assert it. Yeah. So it'd be like if you and I were debating whether or not the earth was round. And I said, well, the earth is round because the earth is round. You know, that's right. begging the question, meaning that I'm just asserting my premise without actually proving anything. Yeah, we're we're saying that, you know, is it can is, you know, this definition of the American Psychological Association, if you take it to be true. Right. Um, and you're assuming it to be true. And then you're trying to prove that it's true, right? Right. Or another example would be if I said, well, Jesus is God. Mm -hmm. And you would say, well, why do you believe Jesus is God? I said, well, John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Proved. And you'd be like, well, the reason why you think Jesus is God comes from that text, meaning your whole premise, your whole argument is based on that text. And all you've done is refer to the text from which your beliefs come from. So I'm, right. I'm begging the question in the same way I could say the way that she believes about gender comes from this idea. So she's quoting the idea as if it's independent of her thought, but it's not. It's the actual foundation of her thought. She's a, a referring to the foundation of her thought in order to prove her thought. So what's the better way to go about it? So the better way to go about it would be to say, well, why does the American Psychological Association say this? So she does a little bit of a better job once she starts going into all these different cultures. That would be actually trying to prove it from a scientific way. 
Um, as I said, she kind of fudges the numbers a little bit. She kind of moves things around to support her idea. But if she would have stopped the video here and been like, well, the American Psychological Association said it, so therefore it's true, that would have been really bad. Uh, the fact that she appeals to it at all is still a little bit fallacious. Mm -hmm. She could have just said like, hey, this is what I think about it. This is what the American Psychological Association thinks about it. And this is why a lot of people are believing this way. Now let me get to some facts. In other words, using it as evidentiary is fallacious. But um, I, I'm not too bothered by it because she does go on to provide some evidence. I, the evidence, as I said before, is flimsy. It doesn't actually prove the point that she's trying to make. But I at least respect that she's uh, trying. So in the, in the Christian when you quoted John, like what should a Christian do? Oh, right, right. So if, if a Christian says like, well, Jesus is God, and you were to say like, well, how do you know that Jesus is God? I wouldn't just quote the Bible. I would say, well, let's look at the earliest believers of Jesus Christ. They thought he was God. Now, why did they think he was God? And then I could get into some of the evidences for the resurrection. I could maybe even go into the Old Testament and say like, does is there merit for us to believe that God exists? And if that God exists and has revealed himself, is there merit for me to believe that he revealed himself specifically to the Israelites? Mm -hmm. And if he did, did he ever predict that he would be incarnated in this particular way? Uh, when should we have expected something like this to happen? How should we expect someone's life to look like? Who is God in human flesh? What would they be trying to accomplish? Right. So I could, I can prove it that way, but I can't just refer to the text <laughs> that, that my belief is based on. That would be really bad argumentation. Cool. Thanks. And thank you all for listening. We This was a long one, but it was an awesome one. That's for sure. Yeah, no, I really enjoyed this conversation. Yeah, a lot of, a lot of good stuff brought out. Um, a lot of interesting ideas and thoughts and cool little um, uh, kind of uh, our brains went everywhere with the, with the prophecy stuff. But it was cool to go over those two videos a little bit. So thanks so much for listening. You guys take care. Check out runninglight.org to begin our two video series, Take Flight and Love or Lust. You can also send us questions on Twitter at Running Light or on our runninglight.org podcast page. Like us on Facebook at Running Light Ministries, Psalm 36.8. They are abundantly satisfied with the fullness of your house, and you give them drink from the river of your pleasures.